Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's Journal Club, we welcome Dr. Mandy Rounds and Dr. John Stoffel to discuss takeaways that people with spinal cord injury can consider when seeking medical attention for urologic issues. And now, Bladder Buzz. Dr. Mandy Rounds, a research scientist at MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital and MedStar Health Research Institute. My work focuses on improving the quality of life of those that have neurological injuries and diseases such as spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, stroke, and spina bifida. Joining me today is Dr. John Stoffel, a urologist and professor and division chief of neurourology, pelvic reconstruction at the University of Michigan. His care and research focuses on safety and quality of life for patients with neurogenic bladder. We'll be discussing his new article today called Self-Reported Urological Hospitalizations or Emergency Room Visits in a Contemporary Spinal Cord Injury Cohort. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Stoffel. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and to, to talk about this important topic. Great. So first, could you give our listeners a brief overview of the objective of this paper and how the idea came about? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Um, this is a paper that comes from a prospective study that our research group, the Neurogenic Bladder Research Group, uh, has performed. It was a, a study that we got grant funding from the Patient Center Outcome Research Institute for Cori, and we recruited approximately 1,500 spinal cord injury patients and wanted to study how their quality of life was impacted by how they managed their bladder. And so they enrolled in the study, they did a, a number of quality of life questionnaires, and then recorded what happened over a year in their lives, and, uh, hospital admissions, uh, other incidents that occurred, kind of burdens of care, episodes of care, uh, needing to seek additional care. Um, and then this paper was specifically looking at what um, was associated with ER or emergent hospital visits for it, because we know that spinal cord injury patients uh, are at risk for needing emergent care, and we know that people people uh, uh, seek medical care frequently for some of the issues that come up. We want to really look in prospectively, meaning follow these people longitudinally, what happened over this year and try to find some associations with what may be driving some of these uh, admissions. This paper specifically was uh, uh, written by um, uh, Irene Presenza. She is a now um, at university at Ohio State University. At Michigan, it's hard for me to say that sometimes, but uh, um, She's at Ohio State uh, University, and she was our fellow when she did it. She's the first author on the paper, um, and we collaborated over uh, uh, the year to, to, to write this up. Um, the study itself is um, 1,300 patients, and again, it's looking at longitudinally what happened from the time that they enrolled the study into a year later, and we tracked the number of uh, hospital admissions and, and kind of looked at some of the variables. It was very, very interesting and illuminating. That's fantastic. And a, and a lot of patients. So that's amazing. You were able to capture all that data. So your article nicely captures this idea that we've seen, at least in our research studies, of this spectrum of a neurogenic bladder. So what I mean by that are there's people that use an indwelling catheter, they use an intermittent catheter, or they void and they don't use a catheter at all. And what we've seen is that it kind of goes hand in hand with physical ability or hand function. Did you notice that perhaps uh, an association between catheter use and these other physical 
function and hand function measures that you captured in this paper? Yeah, it's a um, it's a really good question and kind of gets a little bit to you know some of the things that I say also that when we look at neurogenic bladder, it's it's such a, a huge label for a lot of these patients. And you know, I, I draw the comparison like the cancer doctors don't say you have cancer. They say you have, but we do that in neurogenic bladder. We just lump all these different conditions and all these different kind of nuances together. I think it's important to kind of uh, look at the, some of the differences between kind of the functional status and what's actually going on from a physiology standpoint. Um, the hand function question is, is a really, really good one. In a different paper in the neurogenic bladder research group we looked at, and reasons people stopped doing intermittent catheterization was not associated with hand function. And this was a stable group of patients that many of them had 20 uh, uh, years plus of uh, experience with catheterization. But in this paper here that we're discussing, hand function, uh, you know, there was some association with ER admissions. And so I'm wondering about whether or not what we really are looking at is, is resources and available to people. I think that hand function in itself sometimes can predict what people may be most comfortable with regarding management of their bladder. But I think it's really much more than that. And I think it's something that we as providers need to discuss and have good conversations with people about is what people not only are able to do, but what resources are able to be there to help them with it. So you know, an example would be somebody who is able to do intermittent catheterization from a hand from a, a hand function standpoint, if they don't have the resources to be able to help get them to catheters or to be able to transport to medical visits, be able to assist in other things, something as simple as, as what we think is catheterization may become a huge burden for them just because they don't have the resources to be able to get the necessary supplies or care for it. So kind of a long answer to answer your question, but I do think that um, there is a wide, wide spectrum of how people manage their bladder and there's multiple different variables besides just hand function that contribute to both safety and quality of life for them. Yeah, I think you're completely right. There's a lot of variables. And so for those with neurogenic bladder, what do you think is the most crucial thing to focus on to decrease these hospitalizations or these ER visits you're seeing? Yeah, and I think that uh, um, one of the things that is, I think, paramount to this is really education and education as to what is normal versus not normal regarding the bladder. I think one thing we see a lot is that the specter of urinary tract infections really just colors a lot of bladder care for everybody. People are very worried about getting sick, and rightfully so. Um, at the same time, when you're doing catheterization or if you have an indwelling catheter, many times there's bacteria in the bladder itself that is not causing an infection, but is just there as a colonization. And similarly, sometimes people can have bladder symptoms that are changing that are not related to uh, infections, about dysreflexia, bowel symptoms, other things can, can dramatically change bladder function. And so I think reflexively, sometimes people get treated or evaluated for a urinary tract infection based on just a culture rather than really what's the full picture? What are the symptoms? What else is going on? And so I think education is, is critically important to educate people when they need to get tested for a urinary tract infection. And then from provider side as to, as to what to do with this results and, and how to actually look at this judiciously and and, and you know, avoid just reflexively treating people for a UTI when it, when it may be something completely different. I think that's one of the big things that can help reduce ER admissions and also hospitalizations. I also think a second thing that's really important is making sure, we touched on this a little bit earlier, is making sure people have access to the right care materials that they, that they need for their bladder. 
I think that uh, if somebody's doing intermittent catheterization, they need access to catheters and supplies to be able to do that. Um, people with indwelling catheters need to have it changed regularly. Um, they need to be educated on, uh, on how to care for the tube and make sure it doesn't kink or block and understand what's normal variances, what the urine should look like day to day, and really be able to key in on what are um, escalating measures that do require care. We certainly don't want to tell people never seek emergency care because people get sick and it's uh, catheterization during catheters absolutely can contribute to symptomatic urinary tract infections. But I think it's also there's a large number of people who get overtreated and are referred to emergency rooms for, for avoidable sometimes even logistical issues. Yeah, I agree. The diagnosis of UTI is very hard right now for everyone, not only for the patient, but I think for the practicing physicians as well. Of You know, there's just not a clear gold standard yet. So how do we approach it if they do have this asymptomatic bacteria, right? So I agree of this UTIs are hard. How do we how do we treat them? But how do patients come in and say like, oh, I think I have a UTI or when should they stay home? So how do you think we can approach decreasing UTIs as of right now with what we know? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, looking at our study, 33% of the people in the study sought some type of emergency care over the year that we followed them. So let's say one in three people had to have emergency care or hospitalization. And of those, over half of them were urologic. And so the way I'd answer that question is, is that I really think that urologic care for spinal cord injury patients needs to be one of the top issues that's addressed from the time of first diagnosis of, of the injury to every part of the care plan moving forward. I think that uh, um, right now we tend to be very reactive with a lot of the urologic care. And if they're doing fine, we just kind of watch it. And, uh, and then when something escalates, we tend to, tend to maybe overtreat with it. So I think to decrease the amount of urinary tract infections, um, I really think that's something that, that patient education, provider education, and actually more studies looking at what's a real infection, what do we need to treat, and what, what can we watch are, are crucial for, for changing the care for this. You know, this population that we studied, th these were people who've had injuries for an average of, of you know, between 11 and 20 years. And so this wasn't a new uh, group of, of people. These are very experienced people with bladder management still. You know, they, they still sought emergency care. One out of three needed something. So it's, it's not something that goes away over time. And so I think this really highlights our need to be able to kind of partner with people, discuss, you know, what what exactly is uh, is the problem here? Uh, one of my pet projects that we're hoping to look at is understand why does urine smell? I mean, it's kind of a silly question, but I don't think people even really understand what's a what's a normal spectrum of it. And you know, simple questions like that that I think patients and, and providers just we don't know the answer for. And we're so worried that we're missing something that people get overtreated. So I think education on this just can't be overemphasized. The other thing is, is that I think that we need to revisit a lot of you know, the technologies that we're using. Um, the catheters are, are you know, from the 1900s, and uh, it's still the same hollow tube that, that we've been using. And uh, it, I think, does the job. But at the same time, I don't think we've done enough research to be able well, – people have done a lot of research. Let me clarify that. But I don't think we've done something that drives the needle in terms of really being able to find alternatives to catheters or be able to find a way that – improves people's quality of life while doing catheterization and, and decreases this uh, specter of infections. And so I think more 
cutting-edge research is coming, and I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to move the needle on that. But I think a technology change is going to be very important also for us to look in the future is how do we uh, how, how do we add that? The answer is not more antibiotics. I'll tell you that. The answer is not just treat people with more antibiotics or to put people on antibiotics indefinitely. I think that would be the wrong approach. I agree. <laughs> but also, I mean, to touch on the technology and research aspect, you're totally right. We have a long way to go and we have a lot of different ways that we should explore this. So I think that was good for you to add that. Um, when... When it comes to patients specifically, do you think there's anything that patients could improve or do to help with their decision making of whether to seek medical attention or not seek medical attention? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question. And uh, I think one of the things that uh, a principle is, is to look at symptoms over time. I think in general, things either get better or they get worse. And uh, I think that Sometimes an event can occur and then the body essentially heals any insult that you've had and, and it's fairly stable afterwards. And that's something to kind of talk at, a, at maybe a later date with your provider and kind of look to see uh, ways to reduce the risk of that. But I think that one of the things that is really important to, to, to consider is, is that emergency room visits really um, would try to reduce the amount of emergency room visits just to check to see if things were okay. I think that trying to establish, you know, routine care and a good system of being able to look at urgent things and kind of a more elective setting, if that occurs, the emergency rooms are getting so overwhelmed, and particularly with COVID right now, you know, we're trying to really discourage people from, if they have questions, going to the emergency room just to get the questions answered. So that's one of the things that people can do is really look to kind of track their symptoms and things are getting better. Maybe erase it more with your provider who knows you a little bit better in an elective setting. If there's an emergency, things are getting worse, absolutely seek emergency care because that's the place you need to do, need to get it. But given kind of all the taxing of resources right now, particularly with emergency room services, this is something that people need to be cognizant of. I think also people should be very comfortable with uh, the management system that is is proposed for them. For somebody who is doing intermittent catheterization, they should be very comfortable that they're able to do it with the resources that are available for, for, uh, with them. It's no good to propose a system if somebody's not able to do it or do it routinely or if they don't want to do it. Um, that's a discussion that should be had up front. If you have an indwelling catheter, it's really good to make sure that you are comfortable with the needs of changing it, of uh, making sure that you know, the bag is always down below your level of your bladder so it's draining consistently. And so so actively participating in your management plan to be able to steer the care is, is very, very important. Um, there's no magic bullet in terms of diet, uh, no magic bullet in terms of installation things or, or that reduce urinary tract infections. I think it's really just trying to be consistent about what the symptoms are, when you need uh, escalation of care, and, and what you can kind of do to ma- maintain good, uh, good function status. So it sounds like it's really important to just monitor what your typical symptoms are because everyone is probably a little bit different from each other. That's a better way to say it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. High variability day to day. I think you know, as a urologist, um, I deal with urine all the time. Smelly urine isn't necessarily a bad thing all the time. Cloudy urine, uh, um, if it's uh, something that occurs uh, occasionally, isn't always a bad thing. But, you know, one of the things that we're really trying to key in on is, is that if there are qualitative changes in your urine for infections, like if it's 
you're getting new symptoms, it's cloudy, it's foul smelling, you're starting to, bladder is acting differently, likely that's uh, signs of a progressive infection. That you know, monitor, if it's getting worse rather than better, that needs care. Having urine that's cloudy and then clears up probably could be diet related. Sometimes it could just be related to a little bit of uh, you know, how concentrated the urine is and to kind of watch things in prospectively. Everybody's different and kind of understand what's your baseline compared to what ultimately is a change for you is really important. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of times our symptom tracking that we've done, cloudy smell urine is the most common symptom. So a lot of times we have to tell them, okay, cloudier than usual, smellier than usual, because like you said, sometimes you have it all the time, other times you don't. So was there any anything that surprised you about your results with this particular study that you did? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, what what kind of surprised us a little bit was just the number of people who saw emergency room care. And I mean, I think that we've looked at other studies and talked with other people, and so we know the, the burden of care is high. But to actually look at this and in, in an elective population, people who enrolled in the study and just followed it, you know, third, a third of people needed some type of care and half of those were urologic. So, you know, I think that uh, seeing it just in data is, is somewhat shocking and you kind of appreciate more the burden of care and the importance of urologic care in, uh, in overall quality of life and safety for people with a spinal cord injury. I think that uh, things that were also a little bit surprising were that you know, the bladder management system also is um, pegging to increased risk too. And I think that people, um, the predictors of, or associations rather than predictors, associations with uh, increased ER uh, visits were indwelling catheters and intermittent catheterization. And so you know, I think that uh, indwelling catheters more than intermittent catheterization. Again, it, it speaks to me of, of a care gap. Of, you know, I think that there's questions, uh, I think, about what's routine care and what needs to be addressed. And uh, I think that um, we probably haven't risk stratified people as well as we should in terms of you know, kind of the level of care they need and resources that they need and communication plans. So those, I think, were, were I think when you think about it, it's not surprising. But to see the data and just you know, kind of lay it out, it's, it's very, very stark and uh, I think important. Great. And what do you think is the biggest takeaway from this article? I think the biggest takeaway is that emergency room and urgent care and, and hospitalization visits are very, there is a high incidence of that over a year in, in generally a pretty healthy spinal cord injury population. So this is a very, very common thing that occurs. The biggest takeaway is, is that urologic issues drive a lot of those. And the concerns we have are that given that infections were the most common source of ER and hospitalizations, our concern is, is that there's an over-treat, there's potentially an over-treatment of this because we don't really know what the status of these infections were. So just the high number of urologic and infection-related uh, admissions, I think, is a key takeaway that this needs to be understood further. We need to understand what's a true, what's a true infection, why are people coming in, and what can we do to prevent it? And to me, it's almost a red flag that uh, as providers and, and patients, we need to kind of focus on because left unchanged, the burden of care will escalate. And particularly with ER services being taxed, this could have you know, kind of, um, a big implications down the road for people regarding access. 
Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Stoffel. I know our listeners learned an incredible amount of information regarding why hospitalizations and urological visits are occurring for those with neurogenic bladder. Any last remarks? Thank you so much for having me on this and also having uh, these podcasts. I think they're really important to just talk about these issues. I'd encourage anybody who wants a little bit more information also to look on our website, uh, uh, the Neurogenic Bladder Research Group, where we're a collaboration of uh, uh, 12 different institutions kind of pooling resources to, to look at how we can improve safety and quality of life in neurogenic bladder patients. Our website is uh, www.nbrg.org. I encourage people to log on and contact any of us, and we're happy to, happy to talk more. Fantastic. Yes, please check out their website to learn more about neurogenic bladder. Feel free to check out our other podcast on Bladder Buzz and have a wonderful day. And thanks for listening. Thank you so much for having me. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.